How's it going, Frank? Uh, I'm pretty hot. You know what? They told me New York summers are hot and humid, and they were not lying. (laughs) Well, it's probably better than Seattle because Seattle is beautiful this weekend, and then on Monday, miserable again. It's basically wait doesn't know what it wants to be. Well. Okay, miserable, maybe not that miserable, but it's like all of a sudden like super cloudy and windy and oh, cold where like oh. yesterday it was 85 and beautiful and sunny. No. And like, well, see, summer's here. And then it's like, nope, this is Seattle. No, S- Seattle should always be 60 degrees and cloudy. That is its prime. That's its sweet spot. That's when Seattle is operating on all cylinders. <laughs> Have you been crushing it on the bicycle? Over there. Oh, that's right. I finally got the guts to make it over to Manhattan. Everyone who lives in New York is laughing their butts off right now. But (laughs) I made a trip all the way from South Slope, all the way across the Manhattan Bridge into Manhattan, back to Brooklyn through Dumbo. I'm very proud of myself. Didn't die once. Did you run into Jay-Z at all? (laughs) Jay-Z up here? I didn't know that. Yeah, he's from New York. No. Well, I guess I should take like that celebrity bus tour. Do they have that here? I don't know. Maybe they I should have do that. To. They have to. <laughs> well, I saw a sign that said, don't bother celebrities. They'd like to be anonymous here. I'm like, isn't that a contradiction of terms? But okay. <laughs> yeah, I never know what I would do if I ran into a celebrity that I was like a big fan person over. Like, oh, would I go to try to introduce myself? Should I just play it cool? Like, I, I, um, I know what you here. would do. What? You would text me and ask what you should do because i remember getting a text from you when you i think saw john roderick in a restaurant i believe i saw our good friend front of the show john roderick at <laughs> um down in georgetown and uh-huh. i was like i don't know what to do we did make eye contact and it was not awkward but <laughs> i think that he knew that i knew who he was and i was just like i was a heather was there and i was like is that john roderick is that john roderick i think it's and she's like who's john roderick and i was like she the doesn't lonely winter is like roderick on the line i don't know what to do i'm freaking out right now she's like calm <laughs> down so yeah yeah uh for those out there who don't know john roderick has a podcast uh you should go listen to it roderick on the line it's fun yeah i will put that in the show notes well you know frank i figured this week we'd get a little silly because mm. coming up For the show notes, when we were putting together our topics and ideas, there was a whole bunch of really cool things that either just came out or things that we were doing in our normal day-to-day development that we essentially know nothing about in general. So I thought that we would create an episode of us attempting to talk about a few different topics that we know absolutely nothing about. This sounds absolutely delightful, but I'm going to take an exception to the premise already. We know a tiny bit about it. We know the name. We know it exists. We know that it's an option. But yeah, our knowledge gets a little worse there, but we're going to have fun. This is almost like a lightning episode, but an episode where we don't really know the topics very well. So let's see how well we do. Yeah. And the first one that I really want to get into is James attempting to be a web developer again. Oh, Oh, Frank. Why did we do this to ourselves? Why did you do it to yourself? (laughs) I don't know. You know, I love the web and I love development. So you Mm -hmm. put those two things together, web development, they make sense. Yeah, but I think it's one of those things where you add them together and it becomes lesser somehow. I don't don't know how that's possible, but somehow I think um, web... Does it become lesser with less? Oh, smooth. Or with underscore. 
you know, I can't even continue the joke because I can't remember which one I prefer, but I definitely prefer one of those over the other. But that's just it. The world of web development. Actually, I really enjoy fundamental web development like CSS and HTML. The part where modern web development falls apart is everyone is so heavily using tools and alternate languages and complex build systems and minifiers, and they all have silly animal names and don't make any sense. And so you get caught up in this gulp, bower, less sass world where I'm just like, I'm from the 90s. Yo, I write CSS and HTML. It's all good. Mm-hmm. And that is how I thought the internet worked until <laughs> I started really working on my blog again. So I have two different main websites that I work on. One is soundbite.fm, which is a Xamarin Forms Wii user interface and backend and ASP.net core. So that one's rad because I understand everything that's happening because I mostly understand ASP.net core, but I really understand the user interface there. And that's been really good. Mm-hmm. Now my blog and CMS content management system, if you will, uh, is all powered by Ghost, which I was a Kickstarter backer of and a huge fan of for blogging in just general. And what I like about this is that it handles all the craziness with all the resizing optimization, you know, um, Mm -hmm. SEO optimization, images, videos, you name it, it does it all. And it allows me to go in and create, you know, pages and template. And what's nice is that I bought a, I bought a template, not a template. I bought a, mm-hmm. yeah, I did buy a template, like a design, a okay. theme. And yeah. what I did was go in and customize it completely. So this way I could customize my fonts, my labels, my advertisements, every little bit about it. And it's been about a year since I did that, and I forgot everything that I did. (laughs) So this weekend, I spent some time understanding the internet and modern web development, and I would like to share my findings with you, Frank, if you would be so kind. Oh, boy. Um, I'm not sure I can tolerate this, but we'll give it a good shot. Uh, I'm actually excited to hear some of these details because like you, I have my blog hosted on Tumblr, but I've been considering moving it to something else, something a little more feature rich. And I did like uh, Ghost's uh, entry UI, like your authoring user interface. They had the little web app for that. Do you actually use that web app or are you kind of a local host markdown files author? Oh, no, no, no. I use their web. It's so good because it does all pixel perfect um, markdown and previewer side by side or full screen. It's very, very nice. It's it's yeah. delectable. Just like being able to upload an image is just so simple. And I sometimes draft just in, in Visual Studio code offline in markdown. And I can take that file, put it directly in the editor when I'm back online and boom, it's good to go. But it auto saves, does yeah. all this stuff. It's really nice. Yeah, so that sounds good. And and this always happens. Every time I've ever bought a theme, you have to customize it because, you know, designers, they, they, they give it a best shot, but they're designing for a very generic use case when you're selling a theme. They're like, well, if your blog has words on it, maybe you'll like this theme. <laughs> and so it's just, it's always going to require some customization. So I'm a little nervous now to hear how much effort it took to actually do this. Well, you also have to remember that I know nothing about how the internet works or how modern (laughs) web things are built, especially if they're not ASP.NET Core, because now I don't even truly really comprehend the packaging system, the file system, the the package management. It's completely out of my realm. 
But what's nice about Ghost in general is that they have a CLI, so just a command line interface to get everything running on your local machine. So nice. That That is nice. So that's like a self-hosted scenario, like the database and everything is on your machine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the nice thing about Ghost is Ghost itself runs on Node.js. So you do have to install Node.js. And then after that, you just install the Ghost command line NPM package And then you can say ghost install local and it installs an instance into a folder, everything local on your machine. And you literally have to configure it as if you had installed it on a Linux server or something. But I'm I'm on my Windows PC and it works just fine. So that's like step one. That's nice. Uh, It it actually reminds me of how uh, .NET Core 2.1, we finally kind of have global tools that you can add by adding a NuGet package. You can install a tool on your machine. So I'm actually hoping uh, more libraries and things take advantage of that. And we can kind of do what the NPM world does and start packaging actual CLIs and useful tools with our libraries, not just the library itself. So it's it's just fun to hear that. It was pretty nice to get set up in general. The documentation isn't the best only because they document like their template and not every template and all these other templates can do other things. So I have this template called Cedar and in general, how ghost websites come together is a few parts. The first part is that they are all built on uh, handlebars. Are you familiar with handlebars? <sighs> you know, if you had asked me a year ago, I probably could have said something intelligent about handlebars. But today, I just know the word. Remind me. <laughs> so handlebars are partial pages and partial templating in a way. So uh-huh. you can create like a widget and I have like an author profile widget and then you just do curly brace, curly brace greater than, you know, widget author profile. And then it will automatically combine. It's a way of composing things all together. And my page, for instance, for a, a post my main page, you have partials and then you have full pages. So my page um, says, use the default engine, then a cover post and then the content. And mm-hmm. it will automatically go through and grab that. And then a post has, so that was a page, a post has cover post, content, footer, advertisement, widget, author, profile, and comments. And that's because it all goes into a post page. Um, so you can compose these pages all together via handlebar, so HBS files. Okay. And, and that's really nice because it's it's almost like kind of tiny custom controls from XAML. That's how I'm mapping it in my mind. So you can be like, oh, this is my speaker, my speaker card. And then I could just put that speaker yeah. card anywhere I want. So very nice. I'm getting like, yeah, I like that. Like- and in fact, that sounds a lot like what the Razor model has gone to, especially with Blazor, where they're really embracing this componentized style. It also honestly just sounds like what React and Vue.js are. So handlebars is yet another templating language. The web loves its templating languages. Yes. <laughs> and it sounds like they just did composition right in this one. They, and that always was the problem. Like, I don't know if you ever customized your Tumblr templates, but those were just single like HTML pages with a million levels of if this, then that, if this, then that. And there was no, there was no structure to it. And repeated stuff was literally repeated. So it's nice to know that at least templates have grown up a little bit and been componentized. Yeah. Now, the next part of it, though, it gets a little bit more complicated because I got real confused real fast because this uses <laughs> a combination of JavaScript, SAS, and Gulp. 
and a random yarn file. And I'm like, ah. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. You had me at the first two. So let's break this down. SAS is um, a better CSS. Um, They just Mm -hmm. introduced variables and better grouping. And I think they have some kind of like uh, composition mechanism in there too. So that's good. It's just a better CSS. Gulp is just a build system or a library thing, if I remember correctly. Is that right? It is a, from my understanding, that is what it is. It, there's a package.json that kind of has all of your dependencies for Node. And inside of there, Gulp is the automatic packaging and magic watching (laughs) and renaming and minifying CSS. And, oh, it's one of those. Okay. Yeah. Because, right. We don't want to ship normal CSS. We got to minify that. Got to minify that. So, I guess it essentially what you can do is you just simply like ghost can watch itself and reload CSS files. So like ghost has its own watcher to reload stuff, but the actual ghost pages, but you need to be like, Hey, I've modified my SAS, which means nothing because that's just sitting there. The website looks at this minified CSS. So you need to use this build system that will sit there and watch files and recompile automatically. That's what that's what Gulp does. The only reason I know any of this stuff is the default ASP.NET core template used to pull in all this stuff. I think they fixed it so it doesn't anymore. But I remember I did like file new project once and it had like eight configuration files, you know, three different package managers, just JSON and YAML up the yin yang. It's just terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so what was what was the yarn file? I don't know that one. My favorite part about the yarn file is that I have no idea what it does because it says that it's oh. auto-generated. Do not edit this file directly. So it just sits there. I don't know what it does. It's oh, okay. There. It sounds like one of the other cute animal toy. To- to- <laughs> oh, I meant to say tool, but I said toy. Tools <laughs> probably generates that, huh? Okay. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Wonderful. This is not at all a Rube Goldberg's device. Not in the slightest. <laughs> No, but I've been really impressed, I think, by handlebars a little bit because it does remind me of razor templating in a way where you could just shove some C sharp, but it has that very similar, but with compiler flags almost because an if statement is curly brace, curly brace, pound if, then whatever, and then curly (laughs) brace, curly brace. And it's pretty cool. I don't know. It it seems relatively cool. That's so 90s. We had that in PHP. That's not an improvement. Like Razor is good because it actually takes into account the syntax of the language and the syntax of HTML. These things are just doing stupid uh, regex replaces. But, you know, nice try. Yeah. And I'll say the biggest part before we kind of wrap up me attempting to do any of this web development stuff is it's all command line things like VS Code helps like the code editor part. And that's been really great. But I just get confused. Like, do I need to NPM right now? And do I need to gulp? Do I need to CSS reload? Do I need to SAS something? Like, what do I need to do? And I I had, I tweeted a long time ago, maybe a year ago when I was going through some of my frustrations and I am still kind of frustrated a year later that I still just can't like open something and be like, I don't just load this thing, you know, and maybe that's the (laughs) web as we know it, but I, I, it shouldn't be. That's my, that's my assumption. No, it definitely shouldn't be because, I, I mean, one of the best features of the web is just how quick it is to develop for. If you're writing HTML and JavaScript and CSS, 
you hit refresh in the browse browser and it's instant or even better you get one of those javascript hot reloading libraries and it's mm-hmm. even better and honestly like i get jealous of web developers sometimes because of that quick compile loop that they're not going through a compiler really you know because me i'm always impatient and so to hear that they've gotten it to a state where it's more complex than a .NET project where you can't just run .NET run or .NET uh, watch. That's kind of sad for me, but they'll grow up. They'll get out of it. It's just a bad phase, I assume. So were you at all successful? I know I was successful and I agree with you. I think I was successful. I got it up and running. It did take me like a half an hour, maybe an hour to figure everything out and get my machine set up and install everything. And you run down this rabbit hole where you like Google something like, oh, how do I pre-compile SAS? And then it's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, you're going to need to install um, a Ruby package. And then, but you're going to need yeah. this. And then, oh, to do that, you're also going to need Python, but then you're going to need, and I'm like, oh my goodness. And then, then they're like, oh no, just use this one simple command called like NPM install windows dev. And it does everything for you. And you're like, what? I don't like, what is happening? It rewrites <laughs> everything on your machine. I'm sure too. <laughs> like I was, I, I hate those easy setup programs. I was uh, working with the F sharp compiler recently and they're, their prerequisite let's build let's let's build this thing script installed five versions of .NET Core on my machine five different versions <laughs> like there is no possible way that these are required by any stretch of the imagination I think that's just the issue it's like once you're once you're script dependent and people are just like ah just run the script you don't know what's in that script and it starts doing awful awful things but that said it did work and I was very happy and I think <laughs> I think that. Once I got over that thing, because it was a new dev machine too, so I really didn't have any of the tools installed. Once I got over that, I was very happy with the rapid iteration loop that I had because I would just change something and then it would just change. And mm-hmm. I could even I could even ask ask Heather and be like, hey, I don't understand why this padding, this thing isn't working. She's like, oh, it's just your CSS and just go modify. Oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was nice to use the things together. It wasn't elegant. It yeah. felt it felt very disconnected, but once you have it all working in this magical world, then it's all good. Yeah. yeah. If I want to level you up as a web developer, a modern web developer, I might suggest that you create a Docker file that mm-hmm. includes all this stuff that you learned, that includes all the NPM versions, all your dependencies, all that stuff. That's tends to be what I do now when I'm stuck in that scripty world is once I've figured it all out, I at least create a Docker file that has all the prerequisites. I mean, just just like you, a year later, I'm going to forget everything, but at least I'll have a working environment to start out in and not have to chase down programs. So maybe something else for you to look into. That'll be yet another thing that I know nothing about <laughs> with, with Docker, but that's not our next topic. We're going to shift gears uh-huh. and talk about some machine learning. But Frank, let's first take a break and thank our good friends over at BitRise. You know BitRise. You love BitRise. They are continuous integration and continuous delivery service for all mobile applications. They support building and testing and deploying iOS, Android, Xamarin, or any hybrid platform mobile application. What's really cool is that with BitRise, you create this workflow of how you want to build and deploy and test your application with 
all of their 170 plus open source integrations. So if you need to do things like you need to bump a version number, you need to ship it to test flight or to some other testing framework or anything that you need to do, you can automate anything. You want to run a, a, a script, just put the script right in there. You need to do something else like, you know, send it to Raygun or something like that. Boom. You have all those little integrations that are open source ready to go. What's really cool about BitRise, though, is that you can do this all online or run the CLI locally, the command line interface. You can test out everything. And when you're ready, just upload it right up into BitRise. Now, what I do like is that they are really super optimized for mobile. So what they do is when you get started, they automatically detect your platform, your build and everything to get it running in just minutes. So you just point it at GitHub, GitLab, Bitbucket, anything. Boom, you're good to go. I love it. And you can get started today for free by going to bitrise.io. It's bitrise.io, and you can find links in the show notes below. And thanks to Bitrise for sponsoring this episode of Merge Conflict. Thank you, Bitrise. I didn't know about that Android uh, device integration. That's cool. I have to look into yeah, that. Have it all set up. Yeah. Boom. All right. What do you want to talk about now? A little machine learning? Little machine learning. I mean, what? I get to talk about this once every three months, so we got to make this good. <laughs> make it good. Don't mess it up. All right. So there's there's a new there's a new hotness out there, ML.net. And we, we need to talk about it because we always talk about .NET stuff. And like I said, we get to talk about ML today. This is something I've actually been waiting for for a long time, um, a, a .NET ML library. Describe uh, that, right? Because we have yeah. machine learning, we have Core ML, we have TensorFlow, we have a bunch of things. What does this mean? I'm a C sharp right. developer. Can I do everything now in my favorite programming <laughs> language, Frank? Well, I don't know anything about this, actually. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, I know a few things. So, number one is why can't, yeah, you can always use TensorFlow and all those things, but they tend to live in a Python world. A lot of this machine learning stuff takes place in Python. And what ML.NET is, is a bunch of good core math code that is a .NET standard library, which means you can run it pretty much everywhere. And it will take care of all your big math needs. So uh, we've had alternatives to this in the past. We've had like Akka.net. We've mm -hmm. had... Um, uh, Oh, there's another numerics. Math.net numerics was another big library. Uh, Miguel has uh, TensorFlow Sharp. Ding, by the way, for saying Miguel. And <laughs> <laughs> But what this is, is a .NET standard kind of Microsoft supported. Here is the big math library to do, use if you want to do neural networks. Interesting. Have you tried it out at all yet? Or have you seen it in action? I saw it in action at Build, good old Build, and it was very impressive because, as I said, we've been kind of desperate for a standard here. <laughs> there, there were a bunch of projects out there. So what it does, it's it's functionally pretty equivalent to all the other libraries out there. I didn't see anything like uh, um, amazing new innovations in neural networks, but that's because that's not happening right now. We're all just learning how to use them, not really innovating on their designs. But it seems to do everything that you want it to do. It does all the learning and all that stuff. Now, the big question with these kinds of libraries is really just how fast are they? Because mm. you want a nice programming interface and an API definitely when you're consuming 
models and executing them. But the truth is that's usually only a few lines of code. It's usually pretty trivial. The, the big complexity happens when you're trying to train using a library. And I don't really know how well it does at that, but definitely it's good at executing. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, it's cool because this library was and is used by the Windows team, the Bing team, the Azure team. So it's used at Microsoft and they open sourced big chunks of it. So what it seems like is you have two parts, like a training model and a consumption model. And the training model is also extensible. So if you wanted to use TensorFlow or a core.net or CNTK, you could Mm -hmm. use those. But the core transforms in the training scene that you have like natural learning, schema, um, categorical, uh, normalization, feature selection, and missing values. Those are just words that I just said. I don't know what that means in the world of <laughs> transforms, but I think you know, yes. Yes. These are all things you need to do neural networking. <laughs> um, it, what's a neural network, but just a bunch of math transforms and on that. And then everything else you mentioned was basically just a use case, an application of all that stuff. Kind of the the big hotness with this is the fact that it consumes an industry standard model format called ONNX. I say Onyx in my head. Onyx. I don't know what we're yeah, I don't know what we're supposed to call it. But the cool thing about that is this isn't just a Microsoft standard, as you say. <laughs> um, everyone seems to be adopting this Onyx file format for models, and this library can consume them and create them. So it's really just making sure that as .NET developers, we have all the options and use the latest, greatest models. The cool thing about standard models is they could have come from Python. They could have been trained on a huge cluster up in Azure, you know, but when it comes down to it and you want to actually run it on your machine, it's just a file and you got to point the library at that file. Easy hmm. peasy. So it sounds like from a .NET developer's perspective, that's like me, that's trying to get into machine learning and trying to understand that is what ML.NET does and what I'm reading here and what I really want to try out is some sentiment analysis, but I can go in and be like, hey, you know, I know some C sharp, I can load up some data, I can create my model. And then that model can then export into Onyx, which can then be, I guess, used or consumed in other areas or even export into other things, maybe like. I don't know, TensorFlow or something like that. Absolutely. And I would suggest if you're getting into machine learning, uh, just consume models in the beginning. Training takes a lot of skill. I I hate to make it sound like that, but it it takes effort and time and you're going to mess it up the first few times. So get good at running models, you know, download some favorite ones. Sentiment analysis is always hilarious. I like, I like all the image analysis ones. Is this a frowny face or a happy face? You know, that kind of stuff. Download lots of those and try them out. I think also custom customvision.ai, our favorite website, I think that Mm -hmm. exports Onyx models also. So Microsoft is making sure to keep everything. They have a lot of product offerings, but they're all integrated with each other, thankfully. I like that. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I've heard about it. I didn't get to really go to the, to the ML.net booth or watch too many videos, but the new blog post that just came out because point three just came out as of, Uh. I don't know, like a few days ago, I guess. But um, it, it really kind of helps describe what it's doing, like that Onyx transform into WinML and all those things. There's a lot of MLs happening in the world, Frank. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you know, people are very sensitive about APIs, too. Like TensorFlow is a full neural network library. You can do everything you could possibly ever want to do with it. 
but the API isn't that good. They did their best, but they just weren't API developers. So someone built a library on top of it called Keras, which was a much better API, made designing networks much simpler. So I'm curious to see, does ML.net have that nice easy layer to it too? Or is this like TensorFlow and it's kind of low level and maybe we need um, a, a high level library on top of this? I'm just musing out loud. I'm, I'm just thinking about this because maybe I'll write that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it it is interesting and it's just kind of cool to see my favorite programming language kind of come to this that maybe has some yeah. perhaps one day exports to core ML and I or core ML model and I can consume it in an iOS app or into TensorFlow Lite or or heck, I don't know, maybe other platforms come to iOS and Android and now we're just in this big happy cross platform ML model with my favorite programming language. I think that would be pretty, yeah. pretty nifty. <laughs> You know, I was hoping that uh, Apple would announce Onyx support. If they did, they're they're keeping it quiet. But the good news is you can translate these models. So something that I create in ML.net could be translated to core ML so that it can take advantage of the iOS hardware. Yeah, it is possible. I like Mm -hmm. that. I like that. We got some more .NET goodness because, Frank, there is some new APIs inside of the BCL. Can you believe it? No, we we don't change the BCL because we have .NET standard now. Everything else is a nougat. <laughs> no, no, no. It is in the BCL system they... IO pipelines. System IO pipelines. So this is oil transport. <laughs> is that what we're doing? <laughs> I, be- I believe that this is a um, yeah computational algorithm to determine how to get oil from one side of the United States to the other side of the United States. I'm not positive. Salesman solver. Yeah. Well, sounds interesting. Moving on. (laughs) Yeah. No, so I mean, this apparently has really like blown up the internet. I saw it in my newsfeed a bunch last week and you were like, have you heard about this pipeline thing? Like, I don't know what this pipeline (laughs) thing is. And it could be because I don't really work too heavily close with ASP.NET on a day-to-day basis, but it seems as if this is now part of .NET Core, and it came out of ASP.NET Core to attempt to solve, I guess, parsing data from a stream or a socket. And yeah. I don't know why that was bad before, but apparently System I.O. wasn't good enough, Frank, and you're an I.O. Oh, expert. No. <laughs> so I'm sure you have lots of things to communicate about this thing. You know, usually when you say that like expert word, I try to get like all humble. No, I don't know much about this, but I did actually spend many years doing embedded software development. So I actually do know a lot about buffers and DMA transfers and all that stuff. So here we are. Uh, But I still don't know um, too much about this library other than, yeah, it was designed for speed. They wanted to be at the top of all those internet charts. And so... Hey, it's great. We're we're all benefiting from the ASP.NET team wanting to be at the top. And so they designed this system IO pipelines. And I'd say um it, its biggest innovation is actually to move us away from the old Unix standard streams way that we're all very accustomed to in .NET. We all love our streams. Uh, they can be bidirectional. You read bytes to them. You can write bytes to them. You can put a text reader writer on top of them. You can put a binary reader writer on top of them. But everyone just uses JSON.NET, so they ignore all that. <laughs> uh, the problem with that is um, you end up copying memory a lot. Um, if you have buffering, you copy 
uh, bytes into a buffer before they ever get sent out the I.O. channel. Or maybe you write too much data to the I.O. channel and it's it's clogged. And so it has to store the bytes somewhere else. And that's a copy. And so it's basically, well, copies are bad because you're using twice the space, but they're also bad because it's slow. The, the memory system of a computer is slow compared to definitely compared to the CPU. So a long time ago, all networking professionals figured out if you want to be fast, you have to have zero copy. That means the buffer that I use to receive the data is the same buffer that I process when I'm interpreting the data, or even better, if I'm just like a proxy server and I'm shipping the data off to someone else, I don't make any copies. I receive a buffer and send that buffer off to someone else. The buffer never touches the CPU. It never touches the RAM. Hopefully, hopefully just the DMA channels are activated. All that's to say speed, but it comes with some restrictions on the API. It's a little bit harder to use than straight streams. Yeah, it seems like the standard stream API that I'm very used to is like, okay, I get a network stream and I read it async into a buffer of a new byte array and then I process that buffer and I kind of loop, you know, loop this thing over and over and I read kind of bytes in as it's reading until there's no more to read and then I can do stuff on it. And what you're saying is all of that is kind of a lot of overhead. It's slow. It's mm-hmm. so much overhead, especially when you... You know, .NET is fast, but one thing it's not fast at is moving bytes around arrays because it has array bounds checking. It has all these safety guarantees, which is why we love the languages. We love the safety. But when you're trying to get to the top of those web performance charts, that safety, you kind of want to throw it out the window. But what they did was provide um, a really nice way to do this zero copy trick. And they do that by having explicit reader writers. So unlike streams where you kind of never know, is this an input stream or an output stream? With pipelines, you definitely know, I am using the reader right now. I am using the writer right now. So you have that distinction. And that allows them to provide simultaneously a safe API and a fast one, which is a really good compromise because if you want speed, you're you're like, fine, I can handle two different classes. Uh, It's quite okay. Yeah, that makes sense because, yeah, streams have always been very magical and sockets. They're all magical. And then this one's like, hey, like I'm going to use, you know, a pipe writer (laughs) to read from a socket and then I'll use a pipe reader to read, you know, um, reads um, from the the part of the incoming lines that are coming in. So you just really do the buffer management with those pipe reader, pipe writer. And that makes sense. I mean, that's fine. I like a Mm -hmm. nice API. It means, you know, I'm going to be able to. I don't know, get a much, much faster app. And what I like about this is that it's actually used and it powers Kestrel, but it also powers SignalR, which I think is a nice testament to itself. Yeah, it's always good to see libraries like this dogfooded because you want to know if I'm going to have this obnoxious API that I have to deal with, I, I do want benefits here. You know, I do want this to be a proven, have a proven track record. I think the other kind of neat thing about it is uh, you mentioned with streams, you have like your own byte array. You allocated that array. You, you're managing that array. The garbage collector is handling it. With these pipelines, they actually use the new span and memory classes that we mentioned before. Mm. So this new hotness is using the new hotness. <laughs> and the cool thing about the span and memory is, is that the pipeline library itself, or even better, the I.O. system itself, can do all its own 
native load-level memory management and yet present these span and memory objects to you, which are really easy to consume now and work with. So still get the top-level API using span and memory and still, again, the performance. Hmm. And it's cool. And it seems like it's just a NuGet package, actually. I mean, it is. they say it's part of the BCL, but it's just a NuGet package. Yeah, it's in the system namespace. You know, something like this, um, it, it doesn't need to be fundamental. It's fine as a library. Anyone who's done high-performance networking has written something similar to this anyway. So it, it's just good to have the Microsoft seal of approval, to have it be system dot, which means basically all other libraries that want high-performance I.O. stuff can just consume this and what so we'll make it into like dot net five is that kind of the goal or is there going to be another point release of four i don't know well i don't know if i look at if i look at this technically there is a i went into (laughs) fuget.org because you're you're a little nifty website and there's actually a net core app to one so if you let's say you're just targeting dot net core to one there's no dependencies it's just like literally Everything oh, yeah. that's needed is in it. But if you're in a different type of application, it's .NET Standard, which you're then going to need to bring in system buffers, system memory, and system threading tasks, uh-huh. exceptions, extensions. So there's some dependencies down the, the pipe there, if you will, down the pipeline, yeah. if you will. But it seems pretty cool that it's like kind of using all this new hotness to really add some value, which I think is really nice. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I was just going to say it's it's nice. Um, .NET Core has turned, I want to call it a playground, but it's not because it's being professionally engineered and they're being, you know, they're doing all their due diligence. But at the same time, they are playing these little tricks of coupling libraries to the runtime, which is not something we've seen in .NET for a long time. Honestly, not since like the .NET 2 and .NET 3 days where they were actually messing around with the runtime. So it's nice to see .NET Core simultaneously getting these perf boosts and designing libraries like this and tightly integrating itself and yet still releasing a .NET standard version of a library that all us other people can still consume too. So good job yeah. to the .NET Core team also. Yeah. Give them props. Be like, hey, next time you see a .NET, uh, .NET team member, just give them a little pat on the back. Say, thanks. Thanks for thinking yeah. of us. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it .NET standard. Oh, that's a good bumper sticker. Keep it .NET standard. Ooh, that is good. Keep it .NET standard. 2.0. Well, there you go. There are three amazing topics that we literally know nothing about that you maybe now know something about. More than us? That? More That'd than us? That would be bad. Maybe you at least know as much of us as we know currently. I think that's going to do it for this week's Merge Conflict with that. It's been fun. It's been fun, Frank, about talking about nothing, about everything, and about what we don't know. And if you want to hear about more topics that we know nothing about, that we will definitely inform you about. We'll cover it. We'll cover it. Go to mergeconflict.fm. You can find, of course, the show, all the amazing episodes where we totally know about all the things that we're talking about. And you can, of course, rate us on Apple Podcasts, which we would super duper love if you're using Overcast on your iPhone. Um, that'd be great if you could share it out to the world. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at James Montemagno, at Proclarum. The show is at MergeConflict. Eh. The show is at MergeConflict.fm. And until next time, this has been another Merge Conflict. I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.